0: Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you this morning? You're a little slow on the response there. How are you this morning? Good. Good. Everybody, by the way, we do have coffee outside as you come in, if you guys need that next week. Uh, We are so excited to be here this morning. We're beginning a new series today. uh, And one of the reasons why we're doing this series is because we want to just give you an idea, a picture of who we are as a church and where we're going, what it is God has called us to do. And one of the things that I've recognized over the years as a Christian, as a believer, is that so often we talk about Jesus and me and my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's a good thing. But too often we overlook the reality that it's not just about Jesus and me, but Jesus and we. That there's also a corporate identity that we have as the body of Christ. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be Jesus and we. And I'll tell you, there is something powerful about getting on your knees and asking God for something. But when you gather with other believers, when you gather with other people, and as a group you pray and ask God for something, it does something inside of you. It's just that much more powerful It's the same with worship. Yes, you can worship on your own. And in fact, I know some of you do. You worship in your cars because I've seen you. And you feel free to worship in your cars for the same reason that people pick their boogers in their car, right? They... They feel like there's this invisible shield around them. Nobody can see them. And all of a sudden, you get in your car. You turn on the Christian radio. Your hands are in the air. Jesus, take the wheel. And you're driving 75 down the freeway. And uh, uh, Jesus literally needs to take that wheel because you're not holding on to it. Uh, But you're letting yourself go. You're just worshiping God with all abandon. But when we gather as a body, as a church, whether it's Sunday morning and we worship together as we did this morning, Uh, or we gather as a community group throughout the week, and we just worship God together. It's just different. It's just different. And so, for the next few weeks, we're going to focus not just on Jesus and me, but on Jesus and we. Now, we have a vision for River Rock Bible Church uh, that you may have seen in the back. Sometimes it's up on the screen. We usually try to uh, say it at least once during each Uh, Sunday morning service because we feel it's important that everybody understands what is our mission? What are we trying to accomplish together as a church? And I can tell you this, our desire as a church is not to be a bunch of nice people sitting around getting nicer. That is not the vision that God has given his church. And so our vision is At River Rock Bible Church is to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that is a big vision. We have a vision for every man, woman, and child in Georgetown. It's a big vision. It's not a vision that can be accomplished by one person. It's not a vision that can be accomplished by a handful of people. It's a vision that's going to require every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. It takes every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. And so as a church, we must work together. We, Jesus and we, must work together as we pursue our goal of reaching every man, woman, and child with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And let me say this, this vision is not a small vision. It's a vision that's gonna take a lot of faith. It's gonna take tremendous amounts of faith. It's gonna take steps of faith on your part as individuals and on our part as a church as we pursue this vision. And so I'm excited as we go through this series that we would see individuals taking steps of faith, but as a church over this next year, we would take tremendous steps of faith. Now as we think about that this morning, uh, we're going to step into the series and we're going to start with this statement. If we're going to accomplish our vision of reaching every man, woman, and child, what do we have to become? Who do we have to be to reach every man, woman, and child? And so let me just say, not who do we have to be, but who are we? Who are we? Right? That's the question. Who are we? We are faith-filled, big-thinking Bet the farm risk takers. We will not insult God with small thinking or safe living. We are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. I need a few faith-filled, big thinking, farm betting risk takers to say this with me. Let's say it together. We are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We believe the scripture that Stephen read earlier in Ephesians 3, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. And we believe that he wants to do it through you. I believe that he wants to do it through us as a church. That he wants us, he wants to use us as individuals and us as a body to impact our community in a way that would change generation after generation, after generation. That years from now, there would be someone who would say, my life was changed because my grandfather heard the gospel from someone at River Rock Bible Church. My life has been changed because a community group at River Rock Bible Church prayed for my marriage. That is the vision. That's what it means To allow every man, woman, and child opportunities to experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a couple times in uh, Scripture where Jesus is amazed at someone's faith. Jesus is amazed at someone's faith. We have two stories specifically that come to my mind when I think about that. And the first is in uh, Mark chapter 6, where Jesus is coming into his own hometown He's coming into Nazareth, and he starts teaching. And the people get offended because who is this son of a carpenter to tell us how to live, to tell us what's right? Who does he think he is? And so we find that Jesus was not able to do any miracles. Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. So he was not able to do any miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was, what does that say? He was amazed. At what? At their unbelief. Some translations say he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus is going to be amazed at two ends of the spectrum. The next story we see is Jesus' encounter with a centurion. And the centurions were known for their abuse of the Jewish people, and so it's, uh, it would have caught a first century reader off guard that Jesus would respond to and spend time with the centurion. But the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, look, my servant is sick. In fact, he's on death's door. Can you heal him? And Jesus says, I'll come to your house and heal him. And the man says, no, 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 Jesus, I know what authority is and I know you have authority. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. See, the people in Nazareth didn't believe Jesus had authority to do the things that he said he could do because they didn't believe he was who he said he was. This centurion recognizes that Jesus has the authority to do what he says he can do because he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God, and this is Jesus' response. Jesus heard this, and he was what? Amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such what? I have not found such great... Of faith even in Israel two totally different stories one Jesus is amazed at the lack of faith and the second Jesus is amazed at great faith let me ask you this morning if Jesus were looking at your faith right now would he be amazed at your great faith or would he be amazed at your lack of faith I'm gonna ask you to do something in your bulletin you can write 1 to 10 and I just want you to rank yourself on where you feel like your faith is at this moment, at this time in your life. And, and here's how I want us to do that, how I want us to evaluate. I want us to think about the last week, the last seven days. We am going to keep it real simple. The last seven days, what did you pray for? What did you pray for? Was it a big prayer? Was it a little prayer? Let me ask it this way. If God had answered yes immediately to every single one of your prayer requests this past week, what would be different in the world? How would the world be different? Let me ask you this. Some of you here this morning, you prayed this past week, and if God had answered with an immediate yes, people would have been healed of cancer. There are some of you here this morning that if you had prayed this week and God had answered an immediate yes, People would have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Marriages in your community group would have been healed. Others of you here this morning, if Jesus had answered an immediate yes to your prayers, your food would have been blessed. You would have made it to grandma's house safely. Maybe your beer belly would be a little bit smaller or you'd have less thigh dimples, I don't know. But those are the prayers that you prayed and there are some people here this morning that absolutely nothing in the world would be different because you didn't pray a single prayer. You didn't attempt a single thing that required faith. Would Jesus be amazed at your great faith or at your lack of faith? As we think about that, as we think about all the things that we do that, that require faith, and how do we get there? How do we get to a point where I can say that I'm living by faith, that maybe I move from a two to a five to a seven, or maybe I move from a, a six to, a, to an eight? How do we continue on? Well, this morning, we're going to look at some principles of faith, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Our first principle is this, that you cannot play it safe and please God you cannot play it safe and please God. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 6. It says this, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That verse goes on and says that those who seek him will be rewarded. Those who seek him in faith will be rewarded, but apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. If you can accomplish everything that you set out to accomplish in your own power without God's help, then you are not living by faith. You are not living by faith. If you can do everything that you set out to do in your own power, in your own strength, then you are not living by faith. Now, let me say this. I think a lot of us, when we think about people who have faith, we think about these great champions of the faith and, and that they must have never doubted or we think that we have to have this special faith face or that we just float through life believing and trusting God in everything. But in reality, faith is very messy. Faith is extremely messy. There are going to be moments of great faith where you believe, yes, God, I believe you will do this. I believe you will do a miracle here. And there's going to, it's going to be followed by moments of extreme doubt. God, I don't know if you're calling me to do this. God, I don't know if this is what you would want me to do. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And so faith is messy. It goes up, it goes down. It's not something uh, that is constant. There's no proven in what will happen. Sometimes it's hard to follow God that you can't see. We can't see God. And sometimes it's difficult because sometimes he asks us to do things and we're not 100% sure we're hearing him right but we've got to take that faith step to find out. I love Indiana Jones. It's one of my favorite series. Uh, one of the reasons why I think I love Indiana Jones so much is because uh, as a kid, I, I watched Indiana Jones, and I was terrified of, well, I am terrified of snakes. Uh, and I just love that here's this hero, here's this manly man, he's afraid of snakes too. Man, that gave me confidence. In fact, it was after I watched Temple of Doom, I was on some medication that one of the side effects was nightmares, and apparently my parents tell me that I had nightmares about snakes, a pit full of snakes. I wonder why. Maybe because you let your five-year-old watch Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Uh, but I just, I love Indiana Jones, and the the last good Indiana Jones movie that was made, we're not going to count the fifth one, or whatever it was that they made, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That one was awful. We'll just pretend like it never happened. But Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade with Sean Connery as his dad where he's seeking after the Holy Grail. He's always fighting against the Nazis, so he's trying to get the Holy Grail before the Nazis get it. And they happen to show up at the same place at the same time. And uh, there's one last thing that he has to do. He's got to go through this set of booby traps that have been set before he can get to the Holy Grail. And he says, I'm not going. I'm not going to go get it for you guys. You go get it yourself. Let all your guys die going through the booby traps. So they shoot his dad, and they say, now you have to go get it, because the Holy Grail apparently in the movie can heal him, right? So, so here is Indiana Jones. He's got one last test to go through before he gets to the room where the Holy Grail is. from the lion's head you prove his worth impossible nobody can jump this Ah! and you must hurry (laughs) What's <laughs> Some of you can relate to Indiana Jones as he, as he sticks his foot out and he takes that first step. And it goes a little bit farther down than he expected. And you can imagine his heart just jumps into his throat. His stomach is in knots for that split second as he takes that step of faith until he lands on the solid rock but for the moment when he stepped out. He was no longer playing it safe. He was taking a risk. He was stepping out in faith. It's the leap of faith. And for some of you here this morning, God is calling you to that step of faith. And let me say this. If you're not scared every now and then, then you're not living by faith. If you're not scared every now and then, then you're not living by faith. Because God is going to call you to things that are scary, that are bigger, and far more than you could ever think that you would accomplish on your own. One of the, my favorite stories in the Bible is about Peter, where Jesus is walking on the water. He sends his disciples ahead in a boat, and he says, I'll catch up to you guys later. And the storm comes, and they're rowing as hard as they can, but they're not getting anywhere. There's no boat for Jesus to get to the other side of the lake, so he just takes off walking. He's the son of God. He can defy gravity. He can defy all the laws of physics, and he just starts walking across the water. And the disciples see this, and they, some of them say, it's a ghost. And Peter says, no, it's our Lord. And he says, Lord, if that's you, call to me and I will come to you. As if a ghost, if it were a ghost, wouldn't lie to him and be like, <clears throat> yeah, hey, Peter, come on out and I'm going to watch you sink. Right? But, but it's Jesus. And Jesus says, come. So Peter jumps out of the boat. And he starts walking on the water. And everyone who knows this story knows that Peter failed. You say, oh, Peter failed. Peter failed. He took his eyes off Jesus. Peter failed. He began to sink. Peter failed. But there were 11 guys still in the boat. 11 guys didn't even get out of the boat. And let me ask you this. When Peter failed, who was it that picked him up? A little bit louder. Who was it that picked him up? Jesus picked him up out of the water. Here's something else that hit me this week. When Peter failed and Jesus lifted him up out of the water, he was a lot closer to Jesus than those 11 men were who were still playing it safe in the boat. You cannot play it safe. You cannot have great faith and play it safe. You've got to get out of the boat. You've got to take those steps. If you're not failing every now and then, then you're playing it too safe. You can't let the fear of failure talk you out of taking that step of faith. Our first principle this morning of faith is that you cannot play it safe and please God. Our next principle is this. As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. Let's look at Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. This verse says that we're hoping for this. We're hoping this happens. That is our faith. Our faith. God has called us to something. Okay, God, I hope this works out. Okay, God, I hope this is really what you're calling me to. We put our faith in him. We put our faith in an unseen God. But the problem is most of us, in fact, probably all of us want a guarantee. We want a guarantee. When I think about that, I think about being in elementary school, and I would ask a girl to go with me. Did Anybody ever ask a someone to go with them, right? But you didn't really go anywhere. Um, you, wouldn't, you couldn't drive. Uh, you wouldn't even go with them to the playground because it was a girl. They were weird. Um, but you had someone that you were going with, and you'd always write that note, right? We all know the note. Will you go with me? Circle one, yes or no, right? Check yes or no. But if you were smart, if you were smart, you didn't write that note until you'd done the pre-ask, right? Everybody knows the pre-ask. The pre-ask is when you say, if I were to ask you to go with me, what would you say? Circle yes or no. And every once in a while, you'd, you'd give that note to her friend and she'd give it to her and then it'd come back and there's a new word written on there. And then she hasn't circled yes or no, but she writes maybe and circles that. And that's not fair. I want a guarantee. I want to know the answer one way or the other. I don't want a maybe, but sometimes God gives us a maybe. God, are you calling me to start this business? I don't know. I believe you are. It feels like you are. This is in line with Scripture, but I don't know, but I'm going to step out and do it. Sometimes God gives us a maybe. But as long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. We've got to take that step of faith. And let me tell you, I shared this in our... our, uh, practice service or servant service that we did at 845, Um, and I know I've shared this story before probably too many times, but when God called Amanda and I to church planting, uh, she was about three weeks from delivering a set of triplets, all right? And if you don't know what church planting is, basically I had a a nice job at a great church that paid well, lots of benefits, lots of job security, and I came to her and I said, um, hey, what would you think if we sold our house we sold half our stuff. We left all of our friends, left a job that pays well, has good benefits, and we have job security, and we moved to a city where we don't know anyone, and we take a job that pays quite a bit less, and we don't know that it's actually ever going to work out or ever get off the ground. Let me tell you, my wife, her response was, let's pray about that. And as we prayed about it, we weren't sure. We didn't have a guarantee. There was no guarantee that we were going to move and be successful in planting a church. In fact, two other guys that I went through the church planting residency with, one, their church never got off the ground. They never held a service. The other guy, their church folded in six months. It wasn't because they didn't work hard. It wasn't because they were godly men. It was just church planting. It's It's an art, not a science. So there was no guarantee. But we stepped out in faith. And now we're coming up on the end of two years in ministry. We're going to two services because God has blessed us with so many new families who are wanting to get connected to River Rock Bible Church. And I say that not to promote my faith because I'm down for whatever, right? But my wife, she is the one who followed in faith. She stepped out in that faith. And she followed God in a huge way. And God has blessed us more than we could ever imagine. And I'll say this, it wasn't just our family. When we got here to Austin, the Austin area, we connected with eight or nine other families that said, you know what, we'll leave our churches. We'll move, we'll come with you, and we'll do this together. We'll plant the gospel in Georgetown, and we'll see a church spring up out of that. This church was founded on faith. This church will continue to be founded and grounded in our faith. If you're not attempting big things, if you're holding on to that guarantee, then you're not living by faith. Let me tell you this. You can have control or you can have faith, but you can't have both. You can either have control or you can have faith, but you can't have both. You may want to write that down. You might need that later this week. Some of us here are trying to hold on to control. We don't want to let go. We want to know how things are going to turn out before we step out. And, and let me say this. God has really blessed this church plant. It's been an amazing thing to be a part of the last few years. But this is not the only vision we have for River Rock Bible Church. We've already set our vision to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. But we have a vision That in five years, we would be sending out ten families of our own with a church planter to plant a new church to reach more people in the Austin area with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Some of you are silent right now. Either you don't care or you're just not impressed. But this is an amazing thing. We, as a church plant, got involved with a collaborative church plant when we were about four months old. And that's great. We love the collaborative church plant. We're excited to be a part of it. But we have a vision that God would raise up a church planner and 10 families to go with that church planner and start a new work to reach new people. I believe that within the next five years, God is going to provide this church a permanent place in Georgetown. And I believe, I'm crazy enough to believe that we will pay for it in cash Because I know how much damage debt can do, not just to a family, but also to a church family. And I believe, I know it sounds crazy that five years, how are you going to plant a church? How are you going to get a building and all that stuff in five years? I don't know, but I believe that this is what God is calling us to. And that when we have a permanent location, people will say, that's River Rock Bible Church. If you go there, your life will be changed. That's River Rock Bible Church. If you go there, you will experience God. If you go there, you will be helped. Your life will be changed that we would have a permanent location that people would be able to come to. They would say, oh, you go to a River Rock community group? I'm in. I've heard what God does through those community groups. That's the vision. If we're going to accomplish that, it's going to take every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. And the, I don't know how we get there, if I'm honest. I don't know how we find a church planter. I don't know how we convince ten families to leave. Uh, I don't know how we get a permanent location. But I can tell you this. I may not know steps five, six, and seven. But God's not going to show us steps five, six, and seven until we take steps one, two, three, and four. In order to see those next steps, we've got to take the first step. And I believe the first step is just one of faith. One saying, God, this is what you want us to do. Let us work to getting there. My prayer is that as a church, you would join us. You would join us in accomplishing that vision. When I was in Boy Scouts, yes, I was in Boy Scouts. Um, Sometime I'll wear the shorts for you. Um, That'll be the last Sunday anybody shows up. But I was in Boy Scouts growing up um, from Tiger Cubs when I was seven years old all the way till I was 18, got my Eagle Scout about two weeks before I turned 18. Uh, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, except for the harassing that I got at school, but I loved the camp outs and everything, and one of my favorite things was when I got to be an older scout, you got to go on the high ropes course, and the high ropes course, how many of you have ever been on one of those? Anybody? They're about 30, 40 feet up in the air, and you're strapped in, there's a safety wire, but uh, you'd always come to like this, this bridge, this floating bridge, right? And and you're not supposed to grab the wires. You're not supposed to grab onto anything. You're just supposed to walk across. And I can remember one time we were bringing up some of the younger scouts and this was their first camp out with the big boy scouts. And so we let them go first because that's funny. Um, and they were grateful that the pants were kind of a brown color uh, that day. And so they're up there, and they're standing on the ledge with the instructor. The safety instructor straps them in, and he says, okay, now what you're going to do is you're going to walk across this bridge. And, I mean, you're, you're up there, you're on the platform right next to a tree, and these kids, 11 years old, they're... they're hugging this tree for dear life. I'm surprised it didn't fall, and they're reaching out, and they're looking down at their foot, and they step out, and when they step out, they step to one side or the other of the bridge, and the bridge flips, and they just go falling to the ground, and their safety harness catches them, and it knocks the wind out of them, and we all had a great laugh. So we watched, and a few of the younger kids went, and then one of the older kids got up, and the instructor said, What I want you to do is I want you to focus on where you're going. Don't look down. Don't look straight below. You just focus on where you're going. And you've got to let go of the tree. And so the guy, a couple guys in front of me, older guy, steps up, and he looks at where he's going to go, and he lets go of the tree. He stands on the platform, and he takes a step, and then he takes another step. And then he takes another step and he gets about halfway before, boom, it flips over and he falls. But from that point on, the guys that went after that knew, okay, I've got to let go of the tree and I've got to look and see where I'm going. Here's the problem in the church. We have too many tree huggers in the church. We have too many people that are clinging to that tree. To step towards your calling, you have to step away from your security. To step towards your calling, to step towards the thing that God is calling you to do, you must step away from your security. And I don't know what your security is. Just don't hug the tree. Whatever it is, let go of the tree and focus on where it is God is calling you to go and take those steps one at a time. To step towards your calling, you've got to step away from security. We see this in a great story great story in the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham is called by God while he's living in another country. And God says, Abraham, I want to bless all nations through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to give you land that I want you to go to. And Abraham says, great, God, where am I going? And God says, no, 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 just start walking. I'll let you know when you get there. Hebrews 11:8 recounts this. It says this, by what? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to the place he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out, what does it say? Not knowing where he was going. Some of you ladies can relate to that with your husbands. They don't know where they're going. They're just walking, right? But he goes. He says, God, I believe you're calling me to do this. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I'm going to take the steps of faith. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to follow after you. God was amazed by Abraham's faith. Let me ask you, would God be amazed at your great faith or at your lack of faith? Would God be amazed at your great faith or at your lack of faith? I believe that God is calling every single person here this morning to take a step of faith. And I don't know what that is for you, and I can't tell you that. But for some of you here, God is calling you to start a community group. And you're wondering, do I know enough? Am I smart enough? Will people like me and will they keep coming to my group? Or am I just socially awkward and nobody's going to come? But if God is calling you to it, you will not know until you take that step of faith. Some of you here, God may be calling you to to serve in children's ministry. We're going to two services. We don't know... uh, uh, exactly what that's going to look like as far as how many people are going to come to the first service. We could have 10. We could have 100. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we believe this is what God has called us to, and we need people to step up and to serve in children's ministry for both services. So maybe it's something that you think, you know what, I don't want to be around kids. They pick their nose. They're always sick. They got runny noses all the time, and I don't want to be around kids, but, but I feel like God may be calling me to do this. Let me tell you, when you step out in faith and you do that and you end up serving in a preschool room with 10 tiny little crackheads running around, screaming their heads off, you're going to find, I am so overwhelmed. I need God in this moment to help me keep my calm. But by Wednesday, you're going to say, man, I can't wait to get back to Sunday morning. I can't wait to see how these kids are growing in their faith. I can't wait to see what happened with this kid that I've been praying for all week and your faith is going to grow. Others of you, God may be calling you to get involved with the youth ministry, and you think, man, I've seen these kids. They're disrespectful. They wear baggy pants. Uh, I, I just don't know that I want to be around teenagers, but you'll volunteer because that's your step of faith, and what you'll come to realize is that there are teenagers that are hurting. There are young girls who are in need of a strong, godly mother, And they need a man, a godly man that they can look up to as a father. Young men who need a a godly man to step forward and say, I know this is what the world says manhood looks like, but this is what manhood looks like. And you're going to find, gosh, these kids are so broken. Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you for letting me help them. Some of you, uh, God may be calling you for the very first time in your life to tithe. And it makes no rational sense to you how, how you could possibly have enough to pay your bills and to maintain your lifestyle by giving away 10% of your income. But I believe that if you will do that, if that's what God is calling you to do, and you will take that step of faith and you begin giving 10% of your income back to God through his local church, that you will move from a three to a five or from a five to a seven And that what you'll find is that 90% with God's blessing is far more than 100% without. I don't know what your step of faith is. I don't know what it is. Some of you here, God may be calling you to start a business. God may be calling some of you here, if you're single, he may be calling you to get married. Well, you're never going to get married if you don't ask her out, right? You got to take that step of faith. Some of you here, God may be calling you to adopt, and you're thinking, I've already got a house full of kids. How could I possibly get one more in here? I don't know, but we're going to step out in faith. We're going to believe God. Some of you, God may be calling to write out your story. You've got a powerful story, and you think, you know what? Maybe God is calling me to write, put this down in a book, and you're wondering if anybody will read it. And I'm here to tell you, maybe not. Maybe not. But you won't know until you take that step of faith. God is calling us to be faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We cannot insult God. We will not insult God with small thinking or safe living. God did not give us a small commission. God has given us, what, a great commission. It is not something we can accomplish in our own power without faith. We're going to accomplish God's mission, God's great commission to us. It's going to require us to step out in faith. God doesn't want just a few people to come to faith. God wants every man, woman, and child to come to repentance and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And he allows us the privilege of being a part of that if we will just step out in faith. Now I know there's some people who are a little bit anxious about going to two services, and there are families that have been with us from the very beginning, and they loved it when we were small, when we were just 40 people and I knew everybody, and oh, the church is getting too big. That's something that you hear all the time as churches grow. Well, the church is getting too big. The church is too big. Let me tell you something. The church will never be too big. As long as there are people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, the church will never be too big. If you think the church is ever too big, then your love for people is too small. God has called us to a great commission. He's called us to reach every man, woman, and child. We're not a mega church. Let's not kid ourselves. Just because we're going to two services doesn't mean we're a mega church. We're a micro church with a mega vision. That's what we are. And if we're going to reach every man, woman, and child, it's going to take every man, woman, and child. It's going to take every man, woman, and child to serve. It's going to take every man, woman, and child to step out and take a step of faith. I don't know what your step of faith is today, but I do believe that God has something that he's called you to. And what we like to do at the end of our sermons is we like to give you two minutes to just be with God and just reflect on what it is God is calling you to do. And I want you to just write it down so that you can look back throughout the week. And then also write down what you're gonna do about it. What steps are you gonna take to pursue that calling that God has given you? What steps are you gonna take to stop being a tree hugger and let go of that security. You can have faith or you can have control, but you cannot have both. At this time, I just want us to take two and hear from God.